After two decades of steady work as a solo artist, as well as a session and touring guitarist and vocalist, Tony Spinner continues to quietly leave his impressionable mark on everything he touches. You might have become acquainted with him for his touring role with Toto that lasted nearly a decade. During those years, he proved to be a consistent presence as he toured with them to all parts of the globe. He's also worked extensively with artists such as Mr. Big and Pat Travers, but Tony's musical heart is much more complex. This bluesy guitarist explores a fresh musical direction for he and his band with his latest solo release, Earth Music for Aliens.
Inside MusicCast welcomes one of the best guys in the business, Tony Spinner. Hey, Tony, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Yeah, really, thanks a lot. Eddie and I, you know, we both first became aware of your talent when we saw you performing with Toto and, of course, several of their tours from that 10-year span from 99 to 2009. But but Toto wasn't the uh, only, like, role you've had in terms of a backing guitarist. You've done a – obviously, you've got a lot of your solo work that, you, that you've done, I think nine albums. But, but you've also toured with, with Pat Travers, and I think you've also toured with Mr. Biggs, Paul Gilbert. And so, you know, let's talk first about your experience with Pat Travers. And tell me how, about how you guys connected. Well, I uh, – years and years and years ago – that's more than three. Uh, <laughs> probably like 1980 or 81, 82. I think it was 82. I'm going way back now. Um, uh-huh. I got a... Uh, my drummer, he brought this record album downstairs in the basement. We used to rehearse down there. Uh-huh. And uh, it was called Heavy Metal Heroes Volume 1. And we listened to it, and it was uh, a Mike Varney release, okay. which is, was on Shrapnel way back in the day. And uh, we we listened to it. and We thought, well, we're, we're as good as as most of those you know bands we were listening to. So we thought maybe we could do something like that. And then uh, I looked on the back of the record, and it said, if you want to be on Heavy Metal Volume Two, you know, get in touch with us. So there was a phone number, and of course I called it right away because <laughs> I was young and dumb. And I I got a machine. And I said, hey, this is Tony Spinner. Uh, I'm the best guitar player in <laughs> in Missouri. As a matter of fact, just pick up a Missouri phone book and and pick out any number at random and call and say who's the best guitar player, and they'll tell you it's Tony Spinner. So, <laughs> and I hung up. You know, I left my info, and so I went to play a gig uh, that night. And then I get back at like 1 a.m. My dad goes, "Some guy called from from uh, California named Mike," and I went, "You're kidding!" <laughs> so Mike Varney had called back, so oh, left a message, and I called him the next day and. He goes, well, you're really good, huh? And I said, of course, I knew I wasn't that good, but <laughs> I was trying. And this is leading up to Pat Travers, by the way. Okay, good. So, <laughs> no problem. So, uh, so I, uh, he said, well, how good are you? And I said, well, he says, play something. So I picked up a guitar, and I played a couple riffs, you know. And he goes, are, are you as good as this guy? And then he played Ingve Malmsteen over the phone. He had just, just signed him. And... Uh, I couldn't believe how fast it was. I said, "I said that's not real, man. That's that's been sped up." And he goes, "No, no, it's this kid from uh, this kid from from uh, Sweden." <laughs> that's kind of how Mike talked back then. Anyhow, so I just I thought, "Oh man, I suck," you know. <laughs> so I, I sent him a cassette. Anyhow, some of my originals, and, and Mike was really nice. He he knew I wasn't ready, but he said, "You know, um, you're pretty good. Just you know, keep playing and this and that." He gave me some encouragement. So years later. In 1991 and 92, I was in a band called White River Monster, and we had done some showcasing up in New York, and we got a little uh, production deal, and uh, we had a couple major labels that were talking about signing us, and and, uh, at the showcases, um, I get this, well, I get this phone call when I get back home, and it's Mike Varney, and... uh, he goes, hey, my friend My friend was at one of your showcases and said that you might be good for uh, this project I'm doing, which was a blues project. He's changed the name of his label to Blues Bureau. And uh, he goes, your name sounds really familiar. Have I talked to you before? And I, of course, I knew the, the junk I'd sent him in the past. And I, <laughs> I said, uh, no, no, I don't think we've ever talked. Oh, and he goes, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I think you sent me a cassette. And he started playing that awful cassette <laughs> way back in 81 or 82. Wow. 
<laughs> it was pretty funny, but he said, yeah, my friend says you got a lot better, so send me some stuff. And I sent him some stuff. He liked it, and we ended up doing a record. Um, <laughs> and while I was doing my first uh, CD for Mike, um, Pat Travers was starting his. I was finishing up mine. They were starting to mix on it. And uh, Pat was just getting in the studio, and he was doing one for that same label for Blues Bureau. I think it was called Blues Tracks or something like that. And um, he asked me if I was interested in uh, going on tour with him. And, of course, I'd always liked Pat Travers from way back. I was remember I used to listen to the uh, Go For What You Know record, you know, with the headphones, and I'd imagine myself playing all the Pat Thrall parts. Right. So I was real excited, and we went and did that for the better part of a year. And uh, it was a lot of fun. So that's how I met Pat. <laughs> long story short. Oh, long story long, I guess that is. <laughs> well, he's well, such a great... question how I met Pat <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, we were curious about how you guys connected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's it, man. Well, you I know... Tend to, I tend to... Uh, drag on sometimes so no no it's okay that's why that's what we're here for we want to hear the story and uh but you know you know travers he's such a a monster guitarist and and uh, you know when did you tour with pat and and tell me about you know like the experiences of of learning from him that had to be a learning experience for you well 1993 i'd never been on an airplane um except for you know when i did the the record for mike zoom out to novato california yeah and my second flight ever, actually it was my third because of my flight home, uh, was out to Florida, Orlando, where Pat was, to audition. And, um, he, you know, actually he just said, come out and, and we'll play together and see how it goes. So I flew out there and um, walked into this rehearsal, and uh, it, was, it was surreal. It's like, there's Pat Travers, and they're playing a song I recognize, and yeah. I'm thinking, oh my God, this, this is just wonderful. So... I plugged in and and we started playing and, and we started playing um, Heat in the Street. Uh-huh. And of course, I I had listened to these songs all my life, but I'd never sat down and learned them mm-hmm. or played them. So I'm kind of just winging it. And it comes to the Pat Thrall part where uh, his his part of the solo, which goes dun 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 dun, dun. it's really fast, you know. Yeah. And um, so I'm I'm picking and tearing at it and, and playing all the notes, and then Pat he puts his hand up like, "Stop, man!" I, I went, what, what, what's wrong? He goes, he goes, do that again. And I, I went, diddle, 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 and, you know, started playing the riff. He goes, he goes, man, he goes, that's an echoplex. You know that, don't you? And I, I said, what are you talking about? And he says, yeah, he's just going, dun, 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 with the echoplex. So the echo's playing the repeat. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I, I worked my ass off trying to figure out this solo <laughs> and didn't even realize it was the echoplex. Oh, my God, that's notes. funny. <laughs> you're playing it. And you're so, playing it the real thing. <laughs> Oh man, and it was hard to play. You know, I, I that's one thing I'd actually worked on. So I thought if, if we play that song, I'm going to nail that solo. <laughs> oh my god! And Pat was laughing at me. You know, first, cute. he was. I think he might have been a little bit amazed for a second. Then he thought, "Man, this stupid kid." <laughs> 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 but uh, it was pretty cool, man. Pat was. Um, you know, I, I was real excited, and it was the first time I'd played with uh, somebody who was kind of an idol. And so I yeah. talked a lot, like on the on the way to some of the gigs, I'd be asking so many questions, like, "Hey, man, you still got that black Telecaster you had on the first album, <laughs> and, and whatever happened to this?" And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just know poor Pat was going like, "Oh my God, this kid never shuts up." <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I've got some some board tapes and some film and stuff, so it's fun to look at. And, there's me and Pat Travers. Pretty cool. There you are. He was, he was probably thinking this kid knows more about me than I do. I know. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. 
you know, he was pretty normal. And then yeah. I hadn't been around anybody that was a celebrity at all up to that time. Uh-huh. So I was green and excited and just, you know, oh, making a fool of myself, but having cool. a great time. That's cool. You know, and Paul Gilbert from Mr. Big, you've been associated with him um, on and off over the years, right? And you did some studio work with him. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think I'm on three albums, three mm-hmm. CDs, uh-huh. and I've done probably five or six tours with him over the years. No, neat. You just you recently worked with him, like uh, within the past three or four years, haven't you? Yeah, we did a we did a tour for what was that record? Yeah, my memory's not so good. We also did a guitar camp last year with uh-huh. Paul and uh, Andy Timmons and a okay. bunch of other people. It was pretty cool. That is cool. Well, hey, you know, what I've heard about your connection to Toto is that it was David Page who specifically invited you to join them as, you know, a backup guitarist to Luke. And is that correct? Well, i tell you the quick story yeah. about the Toto. I'll try to make it quick. Okay. I am. Um, I was... The phone rang one time, and I guess it was in 99, um, or December of 98, I think it was. Uh-huh. And uh, my friend Greg Morrow, who, he's a Nashville uh, guy. Well, he's he's been in Nashville for years now, but he's a drummer, and he used to do session work. He's played on everybody's record from Amy Grant to CZ Top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really super nice guy and a really great drummer. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he did the stuff with this uh when i was in white river monster and um he calls us what are you doing i said well, I'm, I'm playing in a blues band on beale street in memphis uh, called, you know called the famous unknowns and he goes well i'm sitting there doing a, a session i think it was with clint black i can't be sure but he said and the guy's tour manager also tour manages uh toto and they're fixing to go out and do a tour okay and of course my first reaction was oh toto i said are they still together because you know, i hadn't kept up with them mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, yeah, they're fixing the tour and they're looking for background singers. And I, I just was kind of puzzled. I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm a guitar player. He said, yeah, but you sing, so, <laughs> you know, you got to try out. And I said, yeah. well, I don't, I don't really want to, you know, sing. It just doesn't sound like it's for me. You know, I'm a guitar yeah. player first. So he goes, okay, well, whatever. So we hung up and then the phone rang right back and it was uh, Martin, Martin Cole, their, their tour manager. Right, right. He said, well, "Won't you? Uh, you know, it's a free trip to L.A. You get to watch the band rehearse and meet the band. It might be kind of fun." So, yeah, I said, "Well, okay." He kind of talked me into it. I went out there and um, I walked in. I can't remember what the rehearsal place was, but I saw this big drum kit. And I didn't know anything about Toto, you know, other than the three songs I used to hear on the radio. And um, I thought, man, that was whoever their drummer is really like Simon Phillips because I recognized. You know, Simon set up because I was yeah. Jeff Beck yeah. fan. And I kind of laughed. I thought, ah, oh, this is kind of weird. And then Simon walks in, and I think, oh, hell, I'm in the wrong place. You know, that's Simon Phillips. He goes, oh, is he, oh, are you here for the audition? You know, I said, uh, uh, this is Toto, right? And he goes, yeah. So I said, I guess. I said, uh, um, is this the right place? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, who do you play for? He goes, oh, I play with Toto. And I said, you're kidding. So. Then I got kind of excited. I wasn't really excited until then, because <laughs> I didn't know anything about the band. Yeah. And um, I just thought it was a pop band, you know. Yeah. So then the rest of the guys kind of wandered in. They played a couple songs and really sounded good. And, and Dave, there, there was just two other guys besides me that were auditioning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, singers, you know, come over here to the piano. So we went over there, and Dave pointed at me. He goes, what, you, what are you singing? I said, well, I have a high voice. He said, okay, you sing the high part. 
And I said, what song? He says, we're going to do Rosanna. I said, uh, what's the lyrics? <laughs> totally unprepared. disinterested. <laughs> so we sang a piece of it. And he goes, okay, let's do um, uh, Africa. And same thing. I said, I don't really know the words. He goes, just hum something. So we did that for about you know a couple minutes. That's great. And that was it. And, uh, and Luke came up. And he goes, hey, man, you know, we'll, we'll get a hold of you. You know, so I said, okay, great. So went back to the hotel and there for... A little while, the phone rang. It was Luke, and he says, "He says, Spinner, man, uh, uh, you want to go on tour?" And I, I said, "Uh," he goes, "Yeah, you got the job, man." And I, I said, "I, I, um, um, <laughs> you know, I just, I really hadn't planned on doing that." And I said, "Well, uh, I need to talk to my wife first. And uh, I said, "What's your pay?" <laughs> he goes, "Don't worry, man. We'll take good care of you." So, so we we talked, and I thought, well, you know. It might be fun to go out on the road, and and um, it was supposed to be six weeks. So yeah. <laughs> we did six weeks, and I think the first gig was in Warsaw, uh, Poland. So yeah, it's pretty cool, and you know, green as I could be. Never been out of the U.S. Yeah, and um, did you have a passport? Yeah, well, no, I I, I got a passport because um, you know what, I left something out. I had been out of the U.S. because I played with. Um, with uh, Paul Gilbert, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, okay. I think right. before That's... I did, yeah, that was in '98. I gotcha. did that before okay. the Toto thing. So still green though. You know, I'd just been to uh, Japan with Paul, and uh, I did have a passport. It was really thin though. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, you know, did six weeks, and man, at the end of six weeks, I was like, I can't wait to get home because I'd never been gone so long. Yeah, and. Um, you know, I just as I'm thinking it's over, they're going, okay, you know, in two more weeks, we're going to go back out for another month. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know. So it just it kept going on, and suddenly it was ten years, well, nine and a half years later, you know, before we ever really got a break. Yeah. I, I just It just went so fast. Yeah. Well, you know, that kind of brings me to uh, my next question. And, you know, ten years with Toto, you, know, you said you thought it was going to be six weeks and it ended up to be, you know, around ten years. And that had to be, you know, the whole collectively had to be a pretty amazing experience, not only from the musical standpoint, but this was, you know, like, like you just mentioned, it was an era for the band that saw them touring more extensively than they ever had before. And this, you know, this had to be not only a great experience, but, you know, it probably also introduced you to, you know, hundreds of thousands of music fans around the world that now know about Tony Spinner. Yeah, it was kind of, man, there's so many things involved. I mean, you know, they, that was their first year back with Bobby Kimball, the original singer. That's right. Mm-hmm. So that was yep. probably interesting for Toto fans to see that. And I, I, I learned so much about everything, about the business and about people's personalities and how to deal with being cooped up with, with um, different people for long periods of time. <laughs> and... Yeah. Um, learning how to adjust to being a singer. I mean, they didn't even know that I played guitar until the second week of rehearsals. Um, wow. <laughs> Luke needed a, uh, an acoustic part on some song, and he was going to have his um, guitar tech do it. And then um, Buddy Hyatt, the other background guy they hired, he goes, Spinner plays guitar. Said, you play guitar, man? I said, yeah, I'm a guitar player. Oh, my gosh. Can you play? I said, well, yeah, I can play. I said, well, here, here play, play that part. And I played it. And he said, oh, well, man, yeah, just, uh, do you have a guitar? And I said, yeah, I've got lots of guitars. He goes, well, bring a guitar and just play along. And uh, if you do something I don't like, I'll, I'll tell you to turn down or quit, you know. so. And that was really cool that he let me, yeah. you know, hold a guitar and play it. Because wow. the other thing he said was, 
man, you look bored to death. What's wrong? And I said, well, I just, I don't know what to do with myself. Cause I'm just standing there at the microphone, yeah. you know, and Paige was going, uh, dance around. I said, no, just fire <laughs> me now because I don't dance. So, and, uh, so Luke goes, just hold the guitar the whole time, you know. And so that was pretty cool. He could recognize it. You know, I wasn't a stand-up singer dude. Yeah. I was a guitar player yeah. who you know, could sing a little bit. So. Dance around. <laughs> I couldn't believe he said that, man. I, I mean, I was ready to go right then. I said, forget it, man. I don't dance. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, they, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, when you auditioned, it was primarily for vocals. I, I just assumed that, you know, they were they were looking for a backup guitarist, you know? Nah, they don't need one, man. Luke's, he, well, right, right. With yeah. support, you know, but I just I thought it would be like a supporting extra parts or something. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, so was, I thought it was really cool of him to do that, you know. To let yeah. Me, well, you know, speaking of yeah, speaking of Steve Lukather, there, you know, you're you're backing him up, you're singing vocals, but tell me about from a guitar standpoint. Tell me about the dynamic between the two of you, you know, like over the years. You mean musically or yeah, well, yeah. yeah, musically or personally. I mean, you know, just both you being guitar players, uh, you know, just uh, I can move on to this this next portion of the question too. I mean, it could be a question that would pertain to, to your time with Pratt Travers as well. But you know, talking about Luke, how much freedom or how locked in uh, were you to your parts? I mean, were the charts simply handed to you? You know, when you started oh, in on was guitar, no chart man. <laughs> just, I mean, right, you have to realize I'm a you know pretty much self taught. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the early rock, like 50s rock and roll and blues. Uh-huh. And when I played with Pat, it was a good fit because we have similar, I guess, similar styles, you know, old rock and roll and blues. And Steve, he um, he's into bebop and jazz and, you know, he's well-versed in different types of music. Yeah. And uh, so it was a little, in- well, a lot intimidating. <laughs> I felt yeah. really um, inadequate. You know, he he would say, Spinner, here, play this diminished so-and-so chord right, with the right. flat five, and blah, blah. I'm going like, huh? Right, uh-huh. <laughs> And he'll, he'll be like, oh, man, you know, the Hendrix chord. And I go, oh, you mean this? And he goes, yeah. So <laughs> right, he, right. he would always describe what he wanted me to play, and I just sound like Charlie Brown's teacher, wah, 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 you know? And I had to go, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he goes, man, you know how to play this? And it would turn out that I did know the chord or I did know how to play the thing, but I couldn't communicate because I didn't know how to read music and okay. I still don't. So, uh, it was, and I hate, I hate to ask him questions. You know, anytime I would ask a question, I'd get that look, you know? <laughs> like you're, you're wasting my time, man. You're wasting my time. So uh-huh. it was, um, it was pretty scary. You know, those guys, um, even though I've been with them that long, I still really don't know those guys. Um, I know them from, I mean, I've, you know, you see people, you see how they are, but you really don't get to know somebody. Yeah. Um, you're, everybody's busy and, you know, you're on a bus for eight or 12 hours at a time, but you're working. So, yeah. uh, it's weird. I never really got to sit and jam with any of them. Interesting. Uh, at soundcheck a couple times, I've, me and Simon would play, like I'd try to play some Jeff Beck stuff. He'd yeah. say, like, can you, can you play Space Boogie? <laughs> and I'd go, Space what? He goes, Space Boogie. <laughs> and I said, you mean Space Boogie? He goes, yeah. no, Boogie. <laughs> boogie. <laughs> it was so funny, man. Simon's, you know, obviously, 
uh, English, so <laughs> we had funny. fun with his speech. It's but, funny. Um, you know, it's you know, you you mentioned a little while ago about the the complexity of the chords and when they say, "Hey, play a diminished ninth and that type of thing in G or whatever," and and just like you know, if you think about it, Toto's music is pop, but it's there's so much influences of jazz chords, and these these guys throw everything into the mix. So yeah. the so the complexity of their music, I mean, it must have been. Was there a time where you ever thought, "Holy cow, this these chordings on this this track are they just over my head?" Or were they a time? Was there ever time that you said, "Oh wow, I can't do this"? Well, they, you know, I played real simple stuff. Steve would just go, just go like this, chug, 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 chug. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't the fact that they needed a complex part from me. They gotcha. Just probably felt sorry for me that I felt so out of place and said, "Here, you know, hold your guitar and play along. And here's, here's something simple that will help." Yeah. <laughs> So um, there, there was times toward the end when Steve was trying to help me because I think he might have realized that, oh, well, maybe he can play. I, you know, to this day, I don't know if those guys, any of them, know that I really can play guitar because it just never really came up. Right. But toward the end, they would do this thing where they would, uh, everybody would take turns doing a, a riff, you know, around yeah. the, the end of a song or something. And uh, they were playing something really complicated. And this was in the middle of the show. We hadn't even planned this. And, right. and then Luke incorporates me into that. He says, when it comes around to you, play something, man. I'm going, oh, God, Jeez. no. <laughs> but, you know, I would end up using an amplifier that I didn't want with the guitar sound. I didn't want that it fit what they needed, which was um, a very distorted low volume, you know, so yeah. uh, with no sustain. And uh, in other words, I had a crap guitar sound. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then just give me a chance to blow, you know. Yeah. But you can't blow with a crap guitar sound. So yeah. it, was, it was very frustrating to finally be on big stages with guys who can really play, but I couldn't show them that, yeah, yeah I can play, man, yeah. you know. Yeah. It, it, just because it really wasn't needed. You know, I'm a, I'm a backup guy doing backup parts. Yeah. So that's... That's the frustrating side of it. People come up and they freak out. Oh, you played with Toto. It must have been great getting to jam with, you know. Yeah. And what they don't realize is uh, the frustration of I never really got to jam or even show them that I could play. Yeah. Thinking about those those 10 years you were with him, I mean, obviously, you did a lot of work with him. You toured a lot. Was just thinking back and reflecting on it, was it fulfilling? Was it a fulfilling 10 years? I mean, did you did you take anything away from it, or did it shape you any differently there, as a musician? There's good things and, and bad things both. For one thing, it's really confusing when I started doing you know my own records and touring because at first there was a lot of Toto fans who were there, and Oh, you're not playing any Toto songs. And well, no, this is this is my tour, and this is these are my songs. And you know, the music was so different. What, what I play is blues based and pretty simple. Uh-huh. Um, to me, melody and simplicity. There's an art to that too. Um, right. And my my things are not very complicated. There might be a couple songs with some off time parts or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, I try to to put emotion in it and, and make a few notes count. You know, a lot of my favorite players, like Jeff Beck, he plays with jazz guys, mm-hmm. but Jeff's not a jazz player. He's a blues player. Right. And he can just melt you with two notes. Yeah, jeez. So that's what I'm thinking. But it was really confusing, especially at first, and uh, a lot of people wanted to hire me because of the total connection. And uh, what they got was a guy playing blues, you know. Yeah. So finally, over the years now, I've I've got my own following, and um, 
people are starting to figure out that I'm not trying to live off that total connection. Sure. I never was. As a matter of fact, I would I would say, why is this on the poster? All the clubs would always put formerly of Toto, and I go, don't <laughs> oh, put that gosh. on there, man. That's <laughs> you know, it's just going to mislead people. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so it was, it was frustrating as hell, <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like ten ten years of your life, um, you know, Toto took almost all of my time. So uh, I was getting a real late start on a solo career, and uh, but at the same time, there would it probably wouldn't have been nearly as easy uh, to get attention, especially in Europe, because sure. Toto was so huge over there at Absolutely. the time. Yeah, it probably still is, I imagine. So uh, a blessing and a curse. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, after you know that ten years on the road, I, I've got to know if you've got at least. One funny story from the road that you can share with us. There's got to be something Steve Luca related in there. <laughs> oh, hundreds, man. Yeah, if you know Luke at all, he's uh, he's just bored, so he he does crazy things. We <laughs> I, there's a lot of stories I can't really tell. <laughs> on the radio. I'll tell you a clean one. Um, it was my birthday, and it was I think on the first tour, or second tour, um, and we're playing somewhere in Europe at this huge festival, outdoor festival, a b- bunch of different bands. And uh, all day long, I was uh, praying nobody knew it was my birthday because I'd heard stories. <laughs> and uh, so they're introducing the band. You know, Steve's up there, you know, and, you know, Buddy Hyde on background vocals, you know, and, and he says, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, and uh, this guy over here, this man over here, he's, uh, he's a great singer, and uh, most people don't know it, but he's a great guitar player, too. It's Tony Spinner, and he says, come over here, Spinner. So I think, what is he doing, you know, and a few people are clapping, he's, He's holding his guitar up like he wants me to play it, and I'm going, no, no thanks, man. <laughs> and he keeps waving, and he keeps waiting, and it's starting to get uncomfortable. So ah, I walk over there, and I go, what are you doing? He goes, he goes, man, I'm going to give you the best juicy guitar sound you've ever had in your life. He says, it won't be the crap rig you're playing on, you know, because they provided <laughs> you something to play on. And so I think, oh, okay. I'll, you know, so he puts the guitar on me, and he goes, here's your volume. Step on this pedal and just go. So I started... Uh, chunking out a rhythm, I think in F sharp, you know, it's going to play something kind of funky and just do a quick lead lick and, you know, hand it back to him. So when I'm playing rhythm, I hear my, hear the sound and it just sounds amazing. You know, it's Steve's rig and it's, like you said, the most juicy guitar sound in the world. Yeah. And it's, you know, busting through this huge PA and it's echoing through this big crowd and (laughs) for a minute I feel like a rock star, right? So as I uh, step on the fuzz box and I'm fixing the you know, play a lead. As I step down on it, all of a sudden I hear this clean, out of tune guitar sound. It's just awful, and it's. I'm thinking, what is that? And it's not me. You know, I'm playing, but somebody else is. Is <laughs> oh my his God. guitar tech Rick back there with the the worst possible guitar sound you could have playing out of tune <laughs> like a three year old. Pinky, pink, pink, pink. You know. <laughs> so I'm like, oh no! And, and and like. I'm looking at faces in the audience going, oh, he's not so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I look over and Luke's laughing his ass off. <laughs> I just, you know, I pull the guitar off and kind of slink away. And he goes, happy birthday, man. <laughs> and there were, you know, many things like that all the time. You really had to watch, you know, watch your back. <laughs> That's, so That's one of the clean ones I can tell you. That's funny. That's so mean, but it's just, it's... Yeah. Always, always mean. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're the nice guy, oh man. Jeez. <laughs> Ooh, how humiliating, Papa, I would say. <laughs> hey, you know, we can imagine that, uh, 
you know, for all those, you know, we're always into the music uh, from the early days and it just uh, just sticks out, you know, when like you're in, in high school or whatever. Um, I'm sure you were playing in, in certain bands in high school, right, as you were growing up? Yeah. Tell us, I mean, the stuff that you were listening to, you I mean, you mentioned some of the, the blues stuff, the early rockers and that kind of stuff. Um, is that who you find yourself sort of uh, leaning to and, you know, listening to these days? I mean, are you a full-blown... I pretty much listen to the same stuff. I mean, you know, Ray Charles is amazing. I, I don't, I mean, I even play some Ray Charles songs when I'm home for covers and clubs and stuff. But um, yeah, Chuck Berry, Little Richard... Um, and back then it was uh, Robin Trower was real popular in like 74, 75, and 76. And, um, oh, my God, there's so many. All the blues guys, Freddie King, Albert King, John Lee Hooker, Muddy Waters. Um, but I got into those guys through people like Johnny Winter. Still love all those guys. Rory Gallagher. Um, God, there's just so many. It's funny, man. The first time I heard any Toto there's a rival band that was playing um, in high school. I'm trying to think what the name of their band was. Mm-hmm. Uh, RFD stood for Rural Funk Dispatch. Yeah. And they had a keyboard player, so they were playing all the popular songs that were on the radio, and they were playing Hold the Line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, God, what was I playing? I was playing Johnny Be Good, of course. And uh, I think we were playing Fool Around and Fell in Love by Elvin Bishop. Yeah. But... Um, my band's never had keyboards. We always um, try to stick to blues. We played uh, a lot of Johnny Winter covers and stuff like that. Early yeah. blues. Sure. That was the first time I'd really heard of Toto. I said, I've heard that song. What is that? And <laughs> the poor guy, Scott, he told me, oh, it's Toto, man. They're really good. You should listen to him. Nah, I'll play blues. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony, there's a, there's a track on your latest album, Earth Music for Aliens, that I really dig. And it's a track called Hot Mess. And I want to pause for a second and let's check it out.
Hey, Tony, we, we had jumped ahead a little early, and there's one more question I wanted to ask you uh, pertaining to Toto. Okay. And, um, you know, when, when Joseph Williams joined the band in 2010 and, and then Toto regrouped to do that those festival shows in Europe in support of, of Mike Procaro, what happened there? Were you asked to go out with him at that time, or was, was there some sort of agreement that said that, you know, they're going to move on without you at that point? That was at the end, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I had, uh, after we did that last tour, I just never heard from him again. And okay. then somebody said, hey, have you seen uh, Toto on YouTube? They're out touring again. And that's, all, that's all, that's how it was, man. Yeah. I just never heard from him. Okay. Well, that was it, huh? That was just, yeah. no, just didn't call you back. But I, I, I imagine it kind of works like that. I noticed um, some of the people who I'd seen that had played with them before usually last about 10 years, and then it's, it's time to just revamp. You know, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. You know, if, if we were if we were to go to your website, you know, you have a lot of um, it's a nice website by the way. You have a lot of shots of of your guitar collection, and you have some wonderful guitars. Um, Thank the, you. Man. The Strat you played uh, with Toto, the the Gibson Historic Fifty Nine, that's beautiful, and vintage um, Fender Deluxes. I mean, do you um, do you still actually have the first guitar that you ever played or not? I had the first good one. Yeah. Um, the very first guitar that I had was my sister's. And it, it had four strings on it. <laughs> the little strings were broke off. And, you know, you could slide your arm under the strings. It was awful. I think it was a, a Stella. Right. Um, and it was just awful. But I could, I had a neighbor whose dad played in a surf band, and he, he showed me how to play a boogie on there. I said, I want to play Chuck Berry. And he goes, well, do this. Banky, 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 you know. And um, so I was hooked then. And I could play all the rhythm on the, the top, you know, two or three strings. Uh, the second guitar I had... You know, I begged my dad, I said, Dad, I have to have an electric guitar. And he said, yeah, right, get a job. <laughs> and uh, so one day he came home from work and he had an electric guitar. Wow. wow. Uh, a Tiesco something with yeah. a little Gibson amp with a little 8-inch speaker that was blown. It had a big crack in it. So when I played it, it distorted. And I thought, this is great. This is great. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> so I played that for a little while. And you could adjust the bridge on that guitar. So I got the strings pretty low. And uh, once I learned... I had a Ventures cassette that my dad had, oh, yeah. and I could play all those Ventures songs. I yeah. like stuff with melody, and those, you know, it kind of sticks in your brain, the melody, and I mm -hmm. can pick out the notes. And he said, okay, well, you're learning, so yeah. let's get you a better guitar. So then I got a Les Paul copy, which was an off-brand called Crestline. Uh -huh. It was a black Les Paul custom copy, and uh, that was not a bad guitar at all. And then my first good guitar they took me to Chivalbine's Music in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. That's where I lived at uh -huh. the time. And uh, bought me a black 335. I had wow. my choice of a nice. brand new Les Paul for $1,000 or a used black 30, 335 for 800 wow. And I took the 335, which I still have. Very cool. Very, very cool. <laughs> hey, you know, aside from guitar, did I was just curious if you ever studied or played anything else. Did you, like, pick up piano or keyboards or anything? Or just... I, I always wanted to uh, play saxophone because... When I was a kid, you know, they always got the solo on yeah. the 50s rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And um, I never could. We just never got a horn, you know. But my sister also took piano lessons. So the first, before guitar, um, I took some piano lessons. And I remember my, I had uh, four of them. The first one I went in, it was an older lady. And I said, I want to play Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard. And she goes, <laughs> well, you won't be doing that today. Yeah. <laughs> you have to learn how to play the chords. And so she was... Right. Showing me a C scale, and I was going, this is boring. Yeah. Show me how to go, you know, play the bass part, and the chank, 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 the rhythm. And uh, 
after four lessons, I said, forget this, I can do this myself. I, I could play piano a little bit. I could play the 50s rock kind of stuff because mm-hmm. my ears could hear it. Right. And um, I, can, I can play drums. I can play bass. I got a, a little old Swangerland drum kit, and uh, I do my demos on there, you know, a Fender bass. Yeah. And I really enjoy, if I was actually going to pick up another instrument, it would probably be um, um, stand-up fretless bass. I just think those are so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, let's talk a little bit about your band. Okay. It, it includes a couple of musicians that are from the you know Nordic countries. Uh, bassist uh, is it Michelle Mulder and uh, from Holland and and drummer uh, Alex Steyer. Um, yeah, Alex Steyer. Yeah, and Michelle Mulder. Yeah, yep. they're, they're from the same area. And uh, tell us a little bit about those guys and how you met them and what makes you click and uh, making your uh, your music together. Well, when I, f- I first went over there and toured with my own band uh, from the States, mm-hmm. and uh, that was, I think, 2004, and the plane tickets cost so damn much, you know, <laughs> bringing, I, I took a four-piece over, including myself, and um, it was fun, but we were mostly playing cover songs. These guys, they had real jobs here in the States and couldn't really rehearse much, and i just done my uh, first solo record, and I was trying to tour with that. Uh-huh. Um and it was fun, but it just wore them out. They weren't used to being on the road. We only stayed for two weeks. So when I said, let's, let's go back and do it again, they were like, well, yeah, I don't know. That's a lot of work. You know? <laughs> and so um, uh, the little agency uh, at the time, DDA, I'm still with them, by the way, hmm. um, they said, well, why don't you look for you know, some guys to play with over here? So I did, and we found a couple guys and uh, did a couple tours, and it was fine. Um, and it was time to make a, a change. I need a different bass player. A lot of my music uh, has a lot of impro- improvisation in it, and the bass player I had could learn my CD and play it note for note, but if I would do anything different, like add another lead section or, or just jump to a different key, he'd be completely lost. So I, I asked the drummer, I said, do you know a, a bass player that can improvise? And he said, yeah, I know, I know lots of guys, and he goes, I know one guy in particular, but he plays with everybody, and I don't know if we could get him. And that was Michelle, mm-hmm. and he auditioned, and he liked what he heard, and he, he stayed with us. Um, and then a little further up the road, we ran into the same kind of problem. Uh, the drummer at the time uh, was a rock drummer. And on the rock songs, he, he rocked out. But also, I needed, uh, my music was starting to change a little bit. We are doing more uh, swings and shuffles. When, um, the songs I was writing, yeah. and he couldn't swing or shuffle. So <laughs> I asked Michelle, I said, well, you know, it's time to make a change. And he suggested Alex. And Alex is, man, he's been so good. He's He can swing, shuffle, and rock. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. can do it all. And the guys are really nice, easy to get along with. There's no egos involved, no weirdness. Yeah, and nobody does drugs or drinks, you know, which is very important. Yeah, I, I'm an old boring musician. I'm not the norm. <laughs> no. I, I might have two beers, and that's it. And never did drugs. Just not interested in it. Yeah. And um, you know, obviously, from my guitar collection, that's where all my money goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> all my equipment. And uh, but Alex and Michelle, God, I'm trying to think what year it was that we got. Michelle's probably on the website if you're yeah, interested in that. Sure. But um, I did the last two CDs with uh, with those guys, and they turned out so good. And yeah. They're so easy to record. 
you know, it's it's funny how those isn't it funny and interesting how the Nor- the Nordic fans, you know, from Holland and you know Norway and Denmark. I mean, they love this rock style. You know, they love this classic stuff. And and we've seen it when we've uh, when we uh, see people on Facebook and Inside Music Cast that they still love love Toto and all the classic stuff. Um, yeah. You know, you know, what's your take on this? Uh, what's happening or with the fans over there in this area? After having toured, you know, that part of the world for many years with Toto and by yourself. Well, it's, you know, I've been trying to figure that out for a while because my guys here, they say, what's it like playing over there? Well, we always have a crowd and they're there to listen to my band. It's not like when I play here. When I play uh, here in Arkansas, which is not a music mecca, uh, (laughs) (laughs) when I play downtown, usually I'm playing uh, for for people while they're trying to eat, and they're not there for the band. They're just there to yeah, eat. To eat. <laughs> and the minute a band starts, it's like, oh, Martha, there's a band. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> that kind of attitude. And I have to play cover songs. If I tried playing my music, but it's just really no interest in it. There, Maybe 10% of the people are actually there because they want to see my band play. Yeah. Um, but it seems like overseas, the biggest majority are there specifically to see this band, and they pay attention. Um, also, when I play around here, and I used to play in the bars, I try to stay out of the bars now. Yeah. Um, it's so rough. You know? <laughs> and uh, there's, it's, they're just really not interested in the music yeah. like, like they used to be. Yeah. But overseas, there's always a, a, a real interest. And I thought, well, why is that? What, what's the difference? Are they behind the times? You know, it's kind of over there. It's kind of like it used to be here in the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, I think what it is, is there's so many more people over there that you still have, you know, kids who aren't paying attention and they're texting. They're really not into the kind of music I play because I'm 50 years old and uh, they they look at music before they listen to it. <laughs> yeah, know? that's true. So there's still those people. Yeah. But there's so many more people, um, population, and I think it just balances out that uh Instead of having 10% of the crowd here that's interested, you might have 50% or 60 or 70 who are at the club because they heard about this band and they want to see it. And they'll pay money and and they'll stand there with their arms crossed in front of you for the first song to see if you're any good. And then if they like it, the arms will uncross and they'll smile. <laughs> and then they'll buy a couple CDs. Yeah. So maybe that's it just because there's more more of a population. Yeah, but it's really rewarding to go over there. I look forward to touring so much in Europe. Yeah, cool. Hey, Tony, you've uh, you've um, you've recorded nine solo albums to your credit. Um, nine? I, I don't know. Yeah, that's what we count on your website there, and you know it began with uh, you know Saturn Blues in '93, and of yeah. course up to your current release, which is called Earth Music for Aliens. By the way, which yeah. I love the cover. That's that's a really nice cover. Um, but over the 20 year span of you producing your own work. Uh, Tell us, can you tell us which albums were sort of pivotal for you? I mean, um, in which maybe one album might have changed your approach and put you a different direction? Um, well, the first one I did with Mike Varney, uh, Saturn Blues, it was just, you know, bless his heart, it was really way overproduced mm-hmm. and just kind of frustrating to, I really can't listen to the whole thing. Um, Mike was, you know, Mike was really wanting to make me shine, you know, my first solo thing, so he wanted to make all the solos you know, real long instead of like a little solo session. Let's let's put another solo section here and then let's right. make it like, you know, uh, 
five minutes long instead of just a 30 second blast and it's like it's yeah. guitar overkill <laughs> yeah. and then there's lots of edits like i'd be in the middle of a solo and i'd realize the tape wasn't running i said what happened he goes he goes, I'd play something faster right here. And so he'd try to dub stuff in. <laughs> so that was, that's pretty frustrating. My first yeah. real uh, studio experience, um, mm. you know, a major production thing yeah. in my eyes. So, you know, that's what that was. The second one, uh, he, he said, let's go more blues. That was more of a rock record. And he was trying to do that Blues Bureau thing. So he said, here's some money. You know, go book a little studio in Memphis and uh, do a record. And I think, that was called My 64. Yeah. Uh, that one, uh, you know, I love blues, but I, when I play, it comes out rock. It's not Ray Charles. It's not yeah. Tommy Hooker. Right. It sounds like a little skinny white kid trying to play a blues format. <laughs> uh, when Johnny Winter did it, it was rock and roll, you know, because yeah. uh, because we're white guys. We're okay. <laughs> <a little> white guys. <laughs> we we want to have soul, but we have white soul. There's very few um, white musicians that I know of that um, that give me that same feeling of the early, the real blues. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, Clapton at times, man, he gets real close. Now Peter Green, Peter Green from the original Fleetwood Mac, yeah, he's right. got he has something. You know those early records. Uh-huh. He's as close as, as I've heard from a, a white kid trying to do the, the real deal. Mm-hmm. But um, that record is hard for me to listen to because um, we ran out of time. We had three days to record it, and I had a cold. So half the songs, I sound like this. My nose is stopped up. <laughs> and um, I ran out of time, and I didn't get to go back and overdub my leads. So yeah. what we had was a rough track of me just you know, fumbling through, like, okay, I'll go fix that later, and I'll put a real lead on it later. Yeah. So that's how that one was. Yeah. Um, let's see. The what was the third one? I'm going to look on my website so I don't forget. Oh, Crosstown Sessions, the third one. That okay. one's really good. Yeah. I like that one. Really. Um, I went to my friend Greg Morrow's studio in uh, Nashville. He's the guy who hooked me up with Toto. Right. And uh, that one is really good. I like probably ninety percent of it, and I can listen to most of it when I sit down. The next one that I did. Um, Actually, no, we did that in Memphis at his studio when he had a studio there. The next one I did with him in Nashville, it was called Chasing Guitars. And uh, this was on, I, I did those three, the first three CDs with uh, Mike Varney. This one I did on my own. I didn't want any involvement. I wanted to be able to, you know, do what I wanted to do without somebody going, well, let's change this or let's don't do that song. And I want you to write more like this. That record was totally uh, paid for and, and done myself, you know. Hmm, yeah. And I still like that one. That one I can pretty much listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, live in Europe, I had got with a label called Groove Yard Records. Okay. Groove Yard was a guy out of um, New York who I used to buy. Uh, well, I I used to trade bootlegs with. <laughs> and uh, Joe, he told me, he goes, yeah, one of these days, man, I'm going to start a record label. I'm going to get you to play on it. So, And he did, and I did. That's great. <laughs> so that's, uh, well. we did that record with some live <laughs> tapes that we'd uh, uh, got from some of the tours I did over there. Yeah. Um, then there's Rolling and Tumbling. That's also with Joe at Groove Yard. Um, Down Home Mojo. That's the first one I did with um, Alex and Michelle. Uh, Michelle was on the other two okay. as well. But uh, the first time we got Alex in the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that turned out so good, man. Uh, half of that record I did here at the house, you know, really? my parts. 
so I got to use my old guitars and my old amps and uh, got some really nice tones and it was relaxed. I yeah. wasn't in a hurry um, because I could just do it when I felt like doing it. Sure. Rare tracks with some stuff, some demos that I'd been sending Joe over the years and he'd pick out songs that he liked and we'd do records. And he said, man, we should put out some of your demos. You know, I, I played drums and, and bass uh, and did all the parts on a lot of those songs, probably 99% of it that's on that CD. So those are just home demos. And the new one uh, is with Alex and Michelle. And I recorded about half of it here again right. at the house. And the rest of it we did uh, in between gigs at Alex's studio. He has a studio called Trinix in Arnhem in the Netherlands. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was really relaxed. Yeah. And, man, I can listen to this CD... And I've never done that. Anything I've ever done um, over the years, I can listen to once or twice, and then I've, you know, I start picking it apart, and it's not fun. <laughs> I can listen to this CD and really enjoy it. That's neat, um, yeah. Because when I listen to it, I realize that I love the bass player, I, I love the drummer, I love the people involved, I love the fact that we weren't rushed to record it. Um, I wasn't overthinking the songs. It's, it's all stuff that just... It's very relaxed and very honest, and the sound is very honest. It's not overproduced. It's uh, the first thing that I've done that I'm so proud of, you know, and I hope people give it a listen. Well, yeah, <laughs> it shows. It's a great album. Yeah. You know, it is. It's taking this long, man. 50 years old, you think I'd have it together? <laughs> <laughs> well, that just, means that, that just only means that the good stuff is just about ready to come out, Tony. So that's all. I that, hope so. That's okay with us. You know, the new album is called Earth Music for Aliens, and that's yeah. the the, tra- the album that we're talking about with Tony Spinner, our guest today. Um, but let's, let's talk about this new album. We're going to talk about a few tracks. There was one track that I really enjoyed an awful lot, one of my favorite. And yeah. It's called Let Her Go. Yep. And uh, yeah. it, it's a really neat, neat track. Track. And, and in fact, um, you include, you sort of inject a, a, a sort of a reggae-styled rhythm guitar pattern, and it, it sort of like backs the whole track. And it's sort of interesting because it's there, you know, that, that you know, behind everything, and you play rock over it, but it's still got that reggae thing. Are, are, are you, do you have an affinity towards reggae music at all, or how'd that get in there? Well, I like everything. You know, it's, it's like anything else. I like pieces of, of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like... Once I, I get tired of of rock and roll, I get tired of straight blues. I get tired of of funk. I get tired of jazz. You know, but I listen yeah. to everything, and I take things that I like, and it influences what I play. Uh-huh. So that was just a no brainer. I wasn't even thinking that song was written um, probably in five or ten minutes, just at a sound check. Wow. I just was playing a riff, and they started playing. I said, okay, go to here, now let's go to there. Yeah. And I said, no, now let's do something that's out of time, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. well, and um, those are the best songs that, that are just yeah. easy to write. Uh, and I really don't overthink anymore. At least on this record, I didn't overthink what I was doing. Right. Well, hey, Tony, let's, let's pause for a second and take a break. I'd love to play this track. And this is Let Her Go from Tony's latest solo release, Earth Music for Aliens.
Well, another great track in the album is uh, that we enjoyed quite a bit. It's it's called "Low uh, Low Down Dirty Shame," and it's um, it's the best best way we can describe it is a, a funky, dirty blues tune. And and uh, I really like where you take the vocals, the guitar, and I, I really can't give you more compliments as to how nice the solos are on this track. You did a great job. Well, thanks. And that, you know that solo actually the main guitar was just one take, and we did that at three in the morning. Everybody was tired. Uh, we've been playing, you know, gigs all week, and and they were going, well, why don't we just, you know, hang it up and we'll try this more fresh in the morning. I said, well, let's just let's just try this new song, just run through it, warts and all. If there's mistakes, don't worry about it. And uh, I said, I'll holler out the chord changes, and we just did it, and it was so relaxed. And we listened to it the next day, and everybody went, we should keep that, and even the lead solo. And I just went back and uh, did a rhythm over the lead section kind of fill it out very nice it's so weird because it's got uh major over minor in a couple parts yeah really you're not supposed to do that but somehow it works (laughs) well hey uh there's another track on uh, earth music for aliens called stop and um you know this album or or this particular song you know you create a a really raw sound and and it backs your vocals and um eddie and i were curious about the guitar setup on this track because it we were talking it sort of has a a reminiscent vibe of, of a clapton sort of sound well, I, I wrote that song back in the 80s um, yeah. when I had a little four-track uh, X-15 Fostex <laughs> yeah, yeah. cassette. And I was digging through all my old cassettes, and I found that song, and I thought, that's kind of cool. So uh, I kind of learned how to play it again, and we did that, that tour. And, and at a sound check, I said, here, check this out. And they said, well, that's kind of cool, but let's do, it, let's do it real funky. Yeah. So we did a real funk version of it, and it kind of slowed it down. And then... It kind of, to me, it sounded like Booty Child. So on the intro of the song, I get my my mock Jimi Hendrix guitar sound. And, of course, you think it's Booty Child when you first hear it starting out. And yeah. It kicks in. At least I do. <laughs> so I was yeah, kind of yeah. doing a little nod to Jimmy on that. <laughs> what I'm playing through, um, I got a Univibe, uh, an old fuzz face. I mean, a real Dallas Arbiter fuzz face. Okay. And uh, an old Vox wah pedal. And an Ibanez sonic distortion is called a SD9. And when I when I kick on the the sonic distortion pedal, and then I put a um, Dallas Arbiter in front of that pedal, they they make my little deluxe sound like a Marshall, and you can get feedback. And with the Univibe, it turns into that kind of Hendrix sound from the bandages to me. Yeah, what that sounds like right. Sure, I love the Univibe, man. When you when, when you're feeding back. And that Univibe is swirling that sound around. Of course, that goes back to the Robin Trower influence and yeah, sure. early Hendrix. But that's the setup right there, just a deluxe with a, um, a Celestian 12-inch, 8-ohm um, Celestian speaker. It's like a 30-watt. Yeah. And so you're you're driving that thing at its potential. <laughs> so it yeah. sounds really gnarly and mean. Yeah, it did a good job. Nice sound. Thank you. Well, I was just curious. Do you ever take? I, mean, I think you mentioned obviously you've you've toured in Europe. Um, as a matter of fact, you recorded one of your live albums there. And but I just wondered, do you ever take your your music on the road, maybe here in the states or in other areas? I, I want to. You know, I can't find a booking agent that's interested in doing it. Um, it uh, it's really frustrating because I, I see bands that are touring professionally in the states, uh-huh. and I think, man, you know that's. That's not so good. I've got a really good band with yeah. a really good record to represent, but it just goes back to anything else, man. You 
you uh, you get work through people you know, and it's not a not a fair business. No business is. It's not about fair. It's just about how how hard you pursue it, yeah. and what you're willing to do uh, to get favors. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. never been good at schmoozing. I've just been awful at it. I'm just not interested <laughs> in that. If yeah. I have to schmooze somebody to get get something done that I want done, then I just may not do it. Right. If if something happens for the right reason and and people are really interested in uh, in what I'm doing, that would be great. But I'm just at this age, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. even when I was young and, and had more energy, I just I just wasn't into what it took. Um, that band White River Monster, we had, I mean, we had three major labels offered to us, and I'd found out that uh, our management was screwing us over on the contracts, and I just, I just said, you know what, screw you guys, yeah. I don't want a major record deal. That doesn't mean anything anyhow. Right. I knew mm-hmm. plenty of bands that had label deals, and they were starving. Yeah, right. So. It's just, um, I do this because I love it, and, you know, if nobody listens to the CD but me, I still enjoy it, (laughs) and I love going out and touring it, and we're we're headed out on a new tour in Europe uh, to tour this record. Oh, that's cool. What uh, countries are you going to be hitting while you're over there? Man, I I know, look at the tour date section on my website, which is uh, TonySpinner.com, and you can look at the tour dates. I'm clicking on it now. And I know it's Germany and Holland for sure. It yeah. may be France, maybe Sweden. They're still booking stuff. Um, and we, we may get, get into Prague again. We did that last time. Mm-hmm. So just check out the, the tour section. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, we have a lot. Like we mentioned earlier, we've got a lot of uh, uh, listeners from Europe, those, those countries specifically. So uh, maybe you can go out and catch Tony when he's, when he's in your area. Absolutely. Yeah, April and May, the, the whole both of those months. Okay. So check out the section. Awesome. Oh, they love you and they know they know of your work over there. And so, uh, well, that... I appreciate it, man. I tell you what, there's there's just not much interest in the States for me. I, um, I love Europe and I'm very blessed that I have the opportunity to go over there. Yeah. To do from the Toto Connection in the beginning. Sure. And uh, people like Martin Cole who asked me if I was interested in playing over there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's in this little music career I have. Yeah. Martin's a great guy. We, Eddie and I have had a chance to meet him several times, and he's, yeah. he's, he's just a saint. A great saint guy. Marte, for yep. sure. <laughs> yeah, Loving to death. Yep. Well, it's TonySpinner.com, and we highly recommend all of our listeners um, you know, to get out there and, and support uh, Tony with uh, this album. It's a great a great project, uh, so uh, get out there and let's buy the record for him. I do. Hey, Tony, I do have one, one question. Do you still sure. have that old... Um, 1964 Chevy Chevy Super Sport. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I still have it. I mean, fortunately, I have it, but unfortunately, the uh, master cylinder's out, and it's been sitting in the garage for so long now I can't get it to start. So oh, jeez! Start over. Oh, that was sad. <laughs> <laughs> what happens? You go on tour for a couple months, and then you know your car won't start, and then you blow it off, and then it's like, oh man! So now the car really <laughs> got rust in. It. It's like ah. That's I'm going right. to have to get back on it and bring it back to life. Yeah, that's cool. All right. Well, I just want to bring that up. If uh, anybody wants to let's uh, support Tony, um, help him fix that master cylinder and get that 64 <laughs> Chevy back on the road. Hey, man, again. I bought a Chitlin's manual, but they had one page in it. And what it said was, you know, I thought, I'm going to read this page, and it's going to describe how to change a master cylinder. Right. And the page says, 
It was Change mis- out master cylinder. That's, that's all it says. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> it can't be that hard, though. I'll figure it out. Tony, this has been a fun chat. We appreciate the time you've uh, taken to hang out with us yeah. and uh, talk music. And um, uh, again, like like Eddie mentioned, just one quick question: If if fans go to your website, um, can they buy the uh, album there, or can they? Where else yeah, can they sure get? Yeah, sure can. You can. The only three you can't get are the um, uh, the ones I did with Mike Varney. Okay, they're out there floating around on eBay. Oh, okay, <laughs> I've all seen right. Them. But all all the solo stuff I've done, you can buy directly from the website. Perfect. Awesome. Perfect. Tony, thanks so much for hanging out with us yeah, today. Yeah, really. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Rick and Eddie. All, All right. right. We'll see you later. Special thanks to Tony Spinner for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zabe, Mikhail Ingstrom, Uwe Reith, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Unilag for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. She looks so good, man. She can do just what she please. Tricky.